Good morning. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. It is a joy to be with you once again. I thank you so much for the warm, gracious way which you have received me, the hospitality. Thank you very, very much. And uh, Pastor Bob, thank you. I want to thank you and your elders. I have a, I'm an evangelist. I travel and preach and teach, and there are certainly challenges in what I do in evangelism, but I don't face the kind of challenges that a pastor faces. I can come into a church, spend a couple of days, make everybody mad, and then I'm gone, you know? <laughs> so, uh, but your pastor, he has to put up with you folks. And uh, I have a, a great deal of love and appreciation for all of our faithful shepherds out there. I truly do. So, uh, Pastor Bob, to you and to the other elders and men who lead here, thank you so very much. Thank you. I truly believe that uh, our faithful shepherds one day will be at the front of the line, and I mean that. So let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer, and we will begin. Father, we thank you for this day that you have given to us, and we pray that as we go to your word now, we pray that your Holy Spirit would indeed, indeed do his work of illumination. Help us to see your word, understand it, appropriate it, and live lives of obedience to the glory of Christ our King. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, this is kind of the introductory session, as Pastor Bob said, of a much larger seminar that I've been doing over the last couple of days here entitled Clouds Without Water. And that is a reference in the book of Jude, verse 12, to false teachers. And we've been looking at the Word of Faith movement, the New Apostolic Reformation, the Health and Wealth Prosperity Gospel, people like Benny Hinn, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland, Joyce Meyer, Jesse Duplantis, Andrew Womack, Joseph Prince, Joel Osteen, Paula White, all these TV preachers that you see who teach that it is always God's will to be wealthy, it's always God's will to be physically healed, and we've been seeing how that is an unbiblical movement, uh, just flat out heretical. These are false teachers, false prophets. Uh, so I wanted this morning, we're just going to kind of lay a little bit of groundwork and talk about the importance of discernment in general. What is discernment? What does the Bible have to say about it? Well, the primary word for discernment in the Hebrew language is the word ben, and it means insight, understanding. It means to separate things from one another at their points of difference in order to make a distinction. This word is used about 250 times in the Old Testament. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say about discernment. The primary word for discernment in the New Testament in the Greek language is the word diakrisis, and it means a distinguishing, a clear discrimination, judging. means the verb form of this word, anacrino, means to distinguish, to separate out, to test. Dear friends, we are to test all things. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, hold fast to, uh, test all things, hold fast to that which is good. So we are, 1 Thessalonians 5.21, but we're to test all things through the lens of Scripture, everything. We are to even test ourselves, are we not? We are to examine ourselves to see if we are truly in the faith. Discernment is not an option for the believer. It is incumbent upon all of us to exercise discernment because one of the things that makes false teachers so appealing and yet so dangerous at the same time is that not everything that false teachers teach is false. Some of it is right, but there's enough heresy and error mixed in with it 
to corrupt the entire thing. I often will use the illustration of water. And I have a little bottle of water here. This water is fine. I could drink this water. But what if I were to put in just a drop or two of uh, strychnine into this water? Then should I drink it? No. It would kill me. Graveyard dead. 99.99% of it would be perfectly fine. But a little poison would do me a great deal of harm. And the Bible says that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And discernment is vitally important for us as believers. The quintessential passage for discernment in the New Testament, undoubtedly, Acts chapter 17, verse 11. For the Bereans were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, searching the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. The Apostle Paul and Silas were out preaching the gospel, and they came to the city of Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki in the Greek. And in Thessaloniki, uh, some people did receive Paul and Silas, but some did not. There was a group of rabble-rousers basically there that made things very dangerous for Paul and Silas in Thessaloniki. And so the other Christians there, the other brothers, shepherded Paul and Silas out of Thessaloniki for their own safety. And they left there and went about 50 miles down the road, and they came to the city of Berea. And in Berea, Paul and Silas were received quite well, as was their message. And notice that the Bible says that the Bereans were considered more noble. Now, why? Why were the Bereans more noble than those back in Thessaloniki? I think we have three indications in this one verse of Scripture why the Bereans were considered noble. Number one, the Bereans were considered more noble because they studied the law. They were students of God's Word. Dear friends, we must be good students of the Word of God. God has revealed Himself to us in His Son, Jesus Christ, and we have a perfect, inerrant, infallible, all-sufficient record of that in His Word. And we cannot know God apart from knowing His Word. So we must be good students of the Word of God. And it is a, a sad reality today that the great majority of professing evangelical Christians, and please do note my use of that term, professing Christians, they have gotten to the place where the terms doctrine and theology have almost become bad words. Maybe you have heard someone say something like this, well, well I don't need doctrine. I don't need theology. I just love Jesus. That is a foolish statement. That is a foolish statement. Dear friends, if we truly love Jesus, then don't you think we would want to get to know him? And the only way to get to know him is by knowing him in his word. And it is sound doctrine. It is right theology that deepens our knowledge of God. And when our knowledge of God is deepened, that enables our love for God to be deepened. Look at what Paul says in Philippians chapter 1. He says, And this I pray that your love would abound still more and more in what? Knowledge and discernment. You see, the Bible never separates knowledge of God and love for God. It always combines these things. And yet so many people today think, oh, well, you know, you got your knowledge over here. That's one thing. That's just for the, 
seminary professors and the preachers. Uh, but over here, you see, is your love for God. That's what's really important. The Bible never separates knowledge of God and love for God. It always combines these things. So all these people running around talking about how much they love Jesus, but they couldn't tell you the difference between Romans and Revelation. They have no desire to read and study God's word. I would submit to you that they do not love Jesus nearly as much as they profess to love him. Because if they truly love him, they would want to get to know him. And the only way to get to know him is by knowing him in his word. And men, I want to address the fellows here just for a second. Men, it is our responsibility to be the spiritual leaders in our home. It's our responsibility to be the spiritual leaders in our homes. And men, being the spiritual leaders in our home does not simply mean taking your family to church on Sunday morning. That's part of it, but you've just scratched the surface. Being the spiritual leader in our homes, men, means that it is our responsibility to teach the Word of God to our wives, to our children. It's our responsibility to do that. Look at what God says in Deuteronomy chapter 11. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall teach them to your children. Talking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you rise up. Men, are you doing this? Are you teaching the word of God to your wives, to your children? Are you talking about the things of the Lord on a regular daily basis with your families when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you rise up? Do you know studies show that some 70 to 75% of kids who were raised in evangelical churches, we're not, we're not even talking about Roman Catholics, that's a different ball of wax, but just evangelical churches, whatever that term means anymore, and they make professions of faith in Christ at very early ages, five, six, seven, eight years of age, and they get baptized. Once they grow up and they leave home, guess what else they're leaving? They're leaving the church and they're not coming back. Oh, but, but they got saved. They got baptized. Well, they may have been baptized, but they were not saved. Because as a Christian, you can stray from the Lord for a season. That can happen to a Christian for a season, but not indefinitely. If you truly belong to Christ and you stray from him, he will bring you back. He will bring you back. And so all these kids that are making professions of faith at early ages, they get baptized, they grow up. No evidence that conversion ever took place in their life. That's because conversion did not take place. And men, the responsibility of this in large part not in totality necessarily, but in large part lies at our feet because most men today have exported their spiritual responsibilities to the Sunday school teacher or to the youth group leader. Oh, well, my kids get everything they need in Sunday school. My teenagers get everything they need in the youth group. No, they're not. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not against Sunday school. I'm not against these things. But dear friends, the men, men, the very best Sunday school teacher with the very best of intentions cannot do what God has designed you and me to do. We are to be the spiritual leaders in our homes. Also, 
the Bereans were considered noble, noble because they received the gospel with ready, engaged minds. Their minds were engaged. Now, watch this video clip from Joyce Meyer. Watch this. Stop trying to get hold of God with your head. It's a heart thing. You got to see what's in your heart. As soon as you get into reasoning, you're going to have trouble believing. Stop trying to get a hold of God with your head. You got to see what's in your heart. Well, the Bible tells us what's in our hearts. It's deceitfully wicked. Above all things, who can even know it? Your heart is a reservoir of wickedness and idolatry. That's what's in your heart. One of the things that you'll notice about false teachers is that false teachers actively in, encourage people to disengage their minds. They want you to disengage your mind. Watch this from apostle, quote unquote, Guillermo Maldonado. Oops. And I can give you a list. Uh, faith has been supplanted by reason. Today, we don't do anything unless we understand it. When the, if you go to the scripture, every act of miracle of God, it cannot be explained. That's what supernatural means. Something that cannot be explained is beyond your head, is beyond your reason. If you want to receive your miracle now, you need to disconnect your head. <laughs> and your reason has its place. I'm not saying you're stupid, that we have to be stupid. That's not what I'm saying. But you can't get into the supernatural. You cannot move in the supernatural by, by the reason. Oh. You cannot move in the supernatural by the reason. You've got to disconnect your head. Is that what the Bible tells us to do? No. Jesus says we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and mind. He gave us a mind for a reason. He wants us to use it. We are to study to show ourselves approved unto God. You want to show yourself approved unto God? Read, study, and obey his word. Read, study, and obey his word. The Bible never enjoins us to disengage our minds when it comes to the things of the Lord. That's what false teachers do. And when your mind is disengaged, guess what? You become much more gullible. You become much more pliable and it's a lot easier to trick you. Anytime you hear someone say, oh, don't think when it comes to the things of God, run. You're dealing with a false teacher. And by the way, he calls himself apostle, and I put that in quotation marks because, dear friends, there are no more apostles today. Revelation 21 verse 14 describes the, the new Jerusalem built upon 12 foundation stones, are on which are inscribed the names of the 12 apostles. So all these people running around today calling themselves apostle this and apostle that, um, no, you're not. Thank you very much for applying, but the quota has already been filled. So 12 apostles. That is a devastating truth for the charismatic movement, by the way. And also, the Bereans were considered noble because they tested what they heard by the scriptures. Even though they received Paul and Silas, they received what they were teaching. Notice that they did not take what Paul and Silas were preaching at face value. It says they searched the scriptures to see if these things were really so, to see if what Paul and Silas were preaching about Christ really did plumb with the Old Testament Messianic prophecies. I would encourage you not to take what a preacher preaches at face value. 
Search the scriptures to see if these things are really so. I would encourage you, don't take what I teach you this morning at face value. Search the scriptures to see if these things are really so. Because I'm not the authority. God's word is. Why do we need discernment? We need discernment so that we will not be like little children tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men. Dear friends, we are living in a day and age today in which there are many winds of doctrine blowing about us. And if we do not know not only what we believe, but why we believe it, then we will be tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine. Some years ago, I saw a study, and it it said that of those adults who convert to Mormonism, so people who are not born into the Mormon church, but they convert into it at some point in their adult life, do you know what the theological background is of about half of these people? Southern Baptist. Southern Baptist. Because Southern Baptists are they're referred to as people of the book, you know, people of the Bible, and they pride themselves in that. And yet so many Southern Baptists and so many evangelicals in general at some level, kind of at a basic level, they kind of sort of know what they believe, but they really don't know why they believe it. And if you were asked to, or to ask a typical evangelical day, well, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe the Bible? Why do you think the Bible is the word of God? Well, I was raised that way. Hope you got a better answer than that. We need to know what we believe and why we believe it. Because if we don't, will be tossed to and fro, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, Paul says. Just because someone has their own Christian television show, just because someone can write a popular best-selling Christian book and makes a lot of money, sells a lot of copies, it has a big following, just because a church is growing by leaps and bounds and bursting at the seams and it's the latest you know, shiny object in the room does not necessarily mean that that person can be trusted to be a faithful expositor of God's word. There are a lot of men and a lot of women out there who are trying to trick us. Why do we need discernment? We need discernment because it is one of the marks of spiritual maturity. One of the marks of spiritual maturity. Hebrews chapter 5. Concerning him... The author writes, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain. Why was it hard to explain? Because the content was so difficult? No. It was hard to explain because, the writer of Hebrews says, his readers had become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to do what? To discern good and evil. One of the marks of a mature Christian is a discerning Christian. You cannot have spiritual maturity and lack spiritual discernment at the same time. It's not possible. Spiritual maturity at best is a spiritual immaturity at best 
uh, is a sign of, of a lack of discernment. A lack of discernment is a, is a sign that you are not mature in Christ. But it could also indicate a lack of spiritual life. A perpetual lack of spiritual discernment may indicate a lack of spiritual life. I want to show to you a sobering passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 1, verse 28 through 32. The Apostle Paul writes, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. I want to pause there just for a second. Do you know why we're seeing what we're seeing in our country today? Why the co-worker that yesterday you knew as Dan shows up the next morning in a dress and wants you to call him Danielle and use his preferred pronouns? You know why we're seeing this kind of madness in our nation? It's because we've been given over. We've been given over to depraved minds. We are under the judgment of God. Dear friends, we're not headed for the judgment of God. We're there. It is the wrath of God. It is the wrath of God's abandonment when people can no longer even think at the most basic level. And you're expected to, to affirm that kind of insanity and call Dan Danielle. If your coworker shows up one day for work and he wants you to call him Danielle and he's in a dress and lipstick, can you affirm that? No, you can't affirm that. You say, hey, Dan, how you doing, man? You can't affirm that kind of insanity. You can't affirm someone's sinful delusion. It's a test for us as Christians. We've, we've been given over to depraved minds to do those things which are not fitting. Now look at verse 29. Watch this list of sins. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, that's gossips, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning. Undiscerning? Is that not sobering? Notice in this list of sins, horrific sins, hopefully from which we would all recoil. I mean, he's, he's talking about people who are murderers, sexually immoral, people who hate God, who invent evil things, undiscerning. Whoa. Dear friends, Paul here is not talking about backslidden Christians. That's backsliding. That's not even a New Testament concept. He's talking about lost people. These are people who have been given over to depraved minds. A perpetual lack of spiritual discernment may mean a lack of spiritual regeneration. Um, now, friends, we're not talking about brand new Christians. Someone who has just come to faith in Christ, you know, and they've got no background of Bible knowledge, they're brand new believers, they're not going to have a whole lot of discernment right out of the gate. That's to be expected, you know. We all start off as babies, right? I mean, we all start off as baby Christians. The funny thing about babies, though, is that babies don't stay babies. Babies grow up, right? So the Christian, someone who is, has the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God creates in that person a desire to read and study the Word of God. 
And as we read and study God's word, and we have the fellowship of believers, we do the one another's of scripture, uh, we begin to grow in Christ. And as we grow in Christ and we grow in our, in our understanding of the word of God, guess what we're going to get? Discernment. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Several years ago, I received an email from a man, and he was out on the Las Vegas Strip, you know, where all the casinos and whatnot are. And um, someone there, I have no idea who, but apparently had some of my gospel tracks and was passing out gospel track, my gospel tracks. Well, these gospel tracks look like million-dollar bills on the front, but instead of one of the pictures, a picture of one of the presidents, I have a caricature of Joel Osteen. And you know Joel Osteen, right? The pastor of Lakewood Church, quote-unquote church. Uh, Joel Osteen is a false teacher. He has not once, not twice, not three times, but he has repeatedly denied the exclusivity of Christ, that Jesus is the only way to be saved. He's denied that. Um, Joel Osteen, all of Joel Osteen's sermons are just alike. I mean, they're all, here you go. I'm going to give you the entirety of Joel's theology in about 10 seconds. Here it is. God loves you. He wants to bless you. You just got to stay in faith. You're a victor, not a victim. You just got to stay in faith and your miracle's on its way. That's it. That's all he's got. I mean, that, that's the entirety of his theology. If you've heard one of Joel Osteen's sermons, you've heard them all. Uh, I would leave his church out of sheer boredom, if nothing else. But he's a false teacher. And on the back of the gospel track, I have the real gospel written out. And then, of course, my, my website is there. And so this man and his wife were given one of my gospel tracks. And they read it. And they looked me up. And he emailed me. And he was fit to be tied. I mean, he was livid. He emailed me. He said, I'll have you know my wife and I got one of your gospel tracks in Las Vegas. And we looked you up. And he said, you don't know what you're talking about. My wife and I have both been Christians for over 50 years. And we love Joel Osteen. And I replied to him. I said, sir, I'm concerned for you. You claim to have been a Christian for over half a century, and you like Joel Osteen? Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Dear friends, you don't have to have much discernment at all to know that there's something wrong with Joel Osteen. And these people claim to have been Christians for over half a century. A lack of spiritual discernment may indicate a lack of regeneration. This is a sobering passage of Scripture. I want us now to look at some of the objections that people will raise when we exercise discernment and encourage others to do the same. A lot of people won't like that. So let's look at some of the common objections, and we will answer these from Scripture. Judge not. Judge not, lest ye be judged, one of the most often misquoted, taken out of context passages in all of God's word. Jesus does indeed warn us not to judge, but the kind of judging against which our Savior warns is hypocritical judging, judging somebody for doing something that maybe we're really doing ourselves. That's what Jesus warns us against. But the answer to this is that, in fact, we are to judge safely within biblical parameters. Dear friends, when it comes to matters of doctrine, when it comes to matters of theology, we absolutely are to judge on these things safely within biblical parameters. 
In fact, the Bible says we are to judge with righteous judgment. We're actually commanded to judge. Did you know that 26 of the 27 books in the New Testament directly warn about false doctrine and or false teachers? Warning about false teachers is a prominent theme in the New Testament. Only the short little book of Philemon has nothing to say about it, at least not directly. 26 of the 27 books in the New Testament do. It's a prominent theme. We must judge. We're just not to judge as hypocrites. Another criticism, you shouldn't name names. When I first began to address this movement, I would do so just kind of in generalities. I wouldn't name some of these individuals, but then I, as I grew in my discernment, I came to realize that, in fact, there is a biblical precedent for calling out false teachers by name. The apostles did this on many occasions. Paul did, Peter did, John did. They called out Demas, Phygelus, Hermogenes, Hymenaeus, Alexander, Philetus, Balaam, Diotrephes. They called all of these false teachers out publicly by name. So there is a biblical precedent for doing this. Now, it should not be done lightly. And we should not call someone a false teacher if they differ with us on some relatively minor theological point. You know, maybe in your eschatology, maybe you're premillennial, pre-tribulation in your eschatology, but you know some cat down the road down here, and he's pre-millennial, mid-tribulation in his eschatology. Whoa, that, that heretic, that false teacher. No, no, we don't call someone a false teacher because of differences, minor differences on minor points. But when it comes to the fundamental tenets of historical Christianity, the pre-existence, co-eternality of Jesus Christ, the incarnation, the one person, two nature of Christ, the bodily crucifixion, bodily death, bodily resurrection, salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. On all of these things, we draw a deep line in the sand, and we must unite in stalwart defense. So there is a, a biblical precedent for calling out false teachers by name. All of the people that I discuss in my Word of Faith seminar, Clouds of That Water, all of them, they're all false teachers, every single one of them. And we must call them out. We must warn the flock about wolves in sheep's clothing. Another criticism is this. Well, you're just causing division. This is a very divisive thing to do. You're just causing division. We need to be unified. Don't cause division. The answer to this criticism is that it is false doctrine that causes the division. False doctrine causes the division. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 16. Now I urge you, brethren, mark those who cause divisions and hindrances contrary to the what? To the doctrine which you learned and stay away from them. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Christ, but of their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Dear friends, it is not those who preach the truth that cause division. It's those who preach error and heresy that cause division. Truth does divide, to be sure, but truth divides the sheep from the goats. Within the body of Christ, truth unites. It's those who preach heresy that cause the division. Another criticism is this. Well... We should just follow Gamaliel's advice. 
Gamaliel. Now, who in the world is Gamaliel? Gamaliel, Gamaliel was a Pharisee, and he was Saul's instructor before he was converted, and Saul later was known as Paul, his Greek name. Saul is his Hebrew name, by the way, Paul, Greek name. But uh, he didn't change names, but at any rate. Uh, at Saul's conversion, uh, he became known as Paul, his Greek name. But before that, he was a Pharisee, and he was a student of Gamaliel, one of the most respected Pharisees around. And in Acts chapter 5, this was before Saul's conversion, but in Acts chapter 5, Peter and the other apostles were in Jerusalem. They had been warned by the Pharisees not to preach in the name of Jesus, but they had to obey God rather than man. And so they continued to preach in the name of Christ. They were thrown into prison. God delivered them miraculously out of prison. They continued to preach. And so they were causing quite a stir there in Jerusalem. And so the Pharisees got together. They had a little meeting, a little powwow, to try to decide what are we going to do with these Christians. We read about it in Acts chapter 5. A Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all of the people, stood up in the council and he gave orders to put Peter and the apostles outside for a short time. And he said to the men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Thutis rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him, but he was killed. And all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census, drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and leave them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. And so even though most people may not know to call it Gamaliel's advice, they still kind of have this general approach to questionable teachers. And they'll say, well, you know, if these preachers that you're talking about, if they're not of God, they won't last. They won't last. They'll be a flash in the pan. Don't worry about it. God will take care of them. On the other hand, if they are of God, on the off chance that they are, you should not oppose them. Because in so doing, you would be found fighting against God himself. Now that sounds like reasonable advice, doesn't it? You could even say that that sounds like spiritual advice. But Gamaliel's advice is very bad advice for two main reasons. Number one, Gamaliel was not a believer. We have no indication that Gamaliel ever came to a saving knowledge of Christ. And at this point, we can safely say that he was not a believer. So to follow Gamaliel's advice is to follow the advice of a lost person. Generally not a real good idea to do, right, when it comes to matters of spiritual importance. But number two, Gamaliel's advice doesn't even pass the common sense test because false religions abound. If Gamaliel's advice was good advice, why do we still have Mormonism? Why do we still have Buddhism? Why do we still have Hare Krishnas? Why do we still have Islam? I mean, name your favorite false religion. They've been around for hundreds, some of them for thousands of years. Clearly, they're not of God, and yet they're still here. So Gamaliel's advice doesn't even pass a common sense test. It may sound all spiritual to say, but it's, it's bad advice. It's bad advice. The next criticism, 
This is one of their favorites. This is how they almost always respond. When a false teacher comes under some scrutiny, the, the heat's turned up on him just a little bit, this is almost always their knee-jerk reaction. Touch not my anointed. Touch not my anointed. Don't criticize me. When you hear this advice, this is how you can respond. Okay, take not scripture out of context because that's what they're doing. Touch not my anointed. Is it biblical? Well, it's biblical in the sense that it's in the Bible, but what does it actually mean? Let's look at it in context. Psalm chapter 105. He permitted no man to oppress them, referring to Israel, and he reproved kings for their sakes. Touch not my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. So it is in the Bible, but it doesn't mean what people think that it means. In fact, the anointed ones refers to Israel's patriarchs and their descendants, not to today's modern preachers. Okay, not to today's modern preachers. And the word touch actually refers to doing physical harm, not to speaking the truth. You might remember that David had a couple of different opportunities to kill King Saul. Remember that? On one occasion, Saul was asleep. The other occasion, Saul was... Nature had called, right? And so Saul was sitting there reading the paper or doing whatever he was doing. And David came up behind him and he cut off a piece of Saul's garment. And he held it up. And he said... I would not touch the Lord's anointed. In other words, David was saying, I would not kill him. I could have. Here's a piece of his garment. But I would not touch the Lord's anointed. So, dear friends, we may be calling into question a lot of different false teaching, taught by a lot of different false teachers, but none of us is chasing Benny Hinn down the street with a baseball bat. None of us is trying to do anybody any physical harm. Good thing, by the way, that today's false teachers are living on this side of the cross because let me tell you something, dear friends. If we were in the Old Testament, Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland and all these prophets, Cat Kerr, Joel Osteen, Joseph Prince, Joyce Meyer, every single one of them, you know what? They would have been stoned a long time ago. A long time ago. So when you hear, touch not my anointed, you can say, that's fine. Take not scripture out of context. And by the way, there are three New Testament passages which refer to all Christians as anointed. Did you know if you are here this morning and you know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, guess what? You're anointed. And you have the same anointing as does every other believer. There are no super-Christians with a super-special anointing that the rest of us common knuckleheads just don't have. And yet we hear this all the time. Oh, he gets, he gets dreams and visions, and, and uh, he goes to heaven every once in a while. Who he's really anointed. No. If you're in Christ, you're anointed. You're indwelt by the same Holy Spirit who indwells all believers. You have the same access to the same God, to the same throne of grace. You're indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. You're anointed if you're a believer. Another criticism is this. Well, you're just not loving. This is, it's not loving 
to tell somebody that they're wrong. It's not a loving thing to do. The answer to this is that the truth is love. The truth is love. Dear friends, if you want to show someone love, tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Let's suppose we were to see a blind man walking towards a thousand foot cliff. Who among us in here, if we were to see that, would just sit back and think to ourselves, mm, you know, I don't want to offend him. You know, I, I might hurt his feelings if I tell him he's wrong. You know, and, and who am I to judge? Maybe that's his truth. And so we just sit back and we say nothing and we watch that man fall off the cliff and plummet to his death. Would anybody in here do that? No. Every person in here, if we were to see a blind man walking towards a thousand foot cliff, we would be running up to that person as fast as we could go, yelling at the tops of our lungs, Sir, stop. You're in great danger. You're going the wrong way. Turn around. And yet, don't we do the very same thing, only far worse, with far greater consequences, eternal consequences? When we see people going the wrong way spiritually, and we know the truth, but we don't tell them. If you really want to hate somebody, do that. Know the truth, don't tell them. If you really want to love someone, love them enough to tell them the truth. It is not up to us how that truth is received, but it is up to us to communicate it. And there is a way to speak the truth. Paul tells us how to do it in Ephesians chapter 4, right? Verse 15, he says, we are to be speaking the truth, how? In love. In love. Now, speaking the truth in love does not mean we water down the truth. Doesn't mean we dilute it. Doesn't mean we apologize for it. It just means exactly what it says. Speak the truth in love. Just speak the truth. Speak the full truth. Just don't be a jerk about it. Speak the truth in love. But speak it we must. And sometimes members of our own families are the hardest ones to speak the truth to, aren't they? Way easier to speak the truth to someone that we just kind of, I don't know, run into somewhere. Or, or it's real easy to speak the truth to people, you know, on social media when you're behind a keyboard and you don't have to see the person. That's easy. Uh, saying it to a family member, that's hard. And there is something about the family dynamic that makes it hard. The prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown and among his own countrymen, Jesus said. But nonetheless, speak it we must. Speak the truth. Show love to that person. Speak the truth. And then trust God for the results. Whatever those results are, trust God for the results. Well, it might cost me my relationship with my family member. It might. It might but at least you will have the blessing of having a clear conscience. Speak the truth. It's the most loving thing to do. And finally, our last criticism. Well, you know, maybe they're, yeah, maybe they're wrong on a few things, but, but aren't they sincere? I mean, they seem so sincere. Joel Osteen, he seems so sincere, and he just smiles all the time. The answer to this is that sincerity is not the issue 
Truth is the issue. Friends, the men who flew airplanes into the World Trade Towers were sincere. But they were sincerely wrong. And right now they are all too well aware of that. Sincerity is not the issue. Truth is the issue. I hope that this has been helpful for you, dear ones. As I close, I just want to close briefly with the gospel. Has there been a time in your life when you have been convicted by the Holy Spirit of God that you are a sinner? We have all broken God's laws, the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not lie. Have you ever told a lie? Yes, you have. So have I. We've all told lies. We're all liars. Thou shalt not steal. If you have ever taken anything that does not belong to you, you are a thief. The value of what you take doesn't matter. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Don't let yourself off the hook too quickly. Jesus says if we look at a woman with lust, we've committed adultery already in our hearts. If you've ever looked at another person with lust, you are an adulterer. And just like when we break laws on earth, there's a penalty to be paid. How much more so when we break the laws of God? But because we have sinned against God who is eternal, the punishment of that sin is also eternal. And if we die in our sin, we will very rightly, very justly, go to a very real place that the Bible calls hell, where the worm will not die, the fire will not be quenched, the full undiluted fury of God's wrath will be poured out day and night forever and ever, and it will never end, ever. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. But God has made a way of escape. He's made a way for us to escape his own wrath. He's made a way to save us, indeed, to save us from himself. God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, and Jesus lived a perfect life. One person, two natures, truly God, truly man, and as the God-man, Jesus lived a life of perfection to the perfect satisfaction of God the Father. He never broke any of God's laws. And Jesus willingly laid down his life on the cross. His life was not taken, he gave it. And on the cross, this perfect person offered his perfect life as a perfect sacrifice to perfectly satisfy the perfect wrath of God died on the cross, three days later, bodily raised from the dead, proving himself to be who he said he was, God in human flesh. And the only way to be saved from sin, saved from the wrath of God, is to repent, turn from your sin, and place your trust in what Jesus did on the cross. You cannot save yourself. There is nothing you can do to earn God's favor. Our works are as filthy rags before a thrice holy God whose holiness burns with the intensity, the white-hot heat of a trillion suns. There is nothing that we can do to earn his favor. Lay your works down. Trust in Christ. If you will come to him empty-handed, if you will come to Christ seeking not only a Savior from hell, but a Savior from your sin, if you will come to him in a godly sorrow, Grieving over your sin, he will save you. Jesus says, the one who comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. Come to Christ. Trust him. He will save you. And Jesus himself is our reward.
Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is not only inerrant, it is not only infallible, not only authoritative, but it is sufficient. It is everything that we need pertaining to life and godliness. It is the prophetic word made more certain for us. I pray for each and every person who is here. Lord, if there be any lost sheep who have not yet heard the voice of the shepherd, I pray that your Holy Spirit do his work. Convict of sin, righteousness, judgment. Convict of the truth of the gospel, Lord. May they hear the voice of the shepherd and go to him and find pasture, find rest for their souls. Pray that you would redeem them, regenerate them, seal them for the glory of Christ our King. I ask your blessings on this church, any other churches that are represented here. Lord, may we live lives of obedience to your word, to the glory of Christ, to the adornment of the gospel. It's in his name we pray. Amen.